What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's do it. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be chatting with Emma Berry today, uh, an author of some salacious materials <laughs> that uh, I feel like is right up your alley, Bridie. I love it. I love talking to writers. Um, and uh, first of all, thank you for joining us, Emma. Um, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, give yourself a moment to introduce yourself. Um, uh, let our listeners know a little bit about uh, who Emma Berry is. I, I can't hear that without hearing um, Austin Powers go, allow myself to introduce <laughs> myself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so my name is Emma Berry and I write contemporary romance novels. Um, and I've been doing that for about 10 years. And I'm also a college English um, instructor. And my background is in sort of like academics, but also in working in politics. So I come to romance sort of through this very roundabout, circuitous, circuitous path. Contemporary romance, because I was going to say erotic fiction. Now, are those terms interchangeable mm -hmm. or are they different? 
they are different. So okay. in erotic fiction, the sex is like the is where the plot is happening. Whereas in romance, um, there can be an erotic component to that and there doesn't have to be, um, but it's not necessarily, the the sex is not intrinsic to the plot, I would say, in contemporary versus an erotic romance. So it's kind of like uh, the difference between like a porn <laughs> and a uh, like an HBO series. <laughs> yes, I think that is a very good metaphor. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a like... Uh, lots of like diverse influences w- yeah. in terms of you know your background and your interest in things so how how does that influence what you're writing about because you have a number of series and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the different series that you have so that that we can include Jeremy on give him some insight into mm-hmm. yeah what- I don't know I don't know anything right now I'm coming in so blind so this is fun <laughs> Okay, good. Um, Yeah, so I started writing books in grad school when I should have been writing my dissertation, which I think is totally normal. I have a lot of friends in various fields who wrote a novel when we should have been writing something else. Um, I just kept writing novels. Like I didn't write like one distraction novel. It turned into like a whole bunch. Um, And so my interests have fueled my work in different ways. Like my dissertation was actually on 19th century newspaper fiction, like the kinds of novels that were getting serialized in newspapers. And so I have written a book set in the 19th century, but I'm not going to probably do any more of that because generally in romance, the 19th century novels are set in Britain and then the contemporaries tend to be set in the U.S. And I'm not actually that interested in Britain. So sorry, Britain. Um, (laughs) But just through like family background, I wrote a series set during the 60s space race um, where sort of had a family member who had worked for NASA in the 60s. And so I was really intrigued by this idea of like astronauts, but also like that kind of like 60s masculinity and femininity where things seem very fixed, but then maybe like underneath that, there could be these kind of interesting currents happening. Um, And then I wrote a series set on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., which definitely came out of my experiences. Like right after college, I worked for a senator for a couple of years. And like, I just think D.C. is, I mean, it gets a bad rap, admittedly, for reasons. But it's also just this city where you have all these people in their 20s and their 30s who like really want to make things better. And like, I think that can also be like very exciting and idealistic. I mean, in its best form, obviously. Um, and then I like right now I'm sort of writing books that come out of different interests. I wrote this book that was set in a kind of fictional version of Saturday Night Live as someone who is like watched and loved Saturday Night Live my whole life. Um, you know, I'm writing, I wrote a book about chickens, backyard chickens, because I have backyard chickens. <laughs> um, and so like, I guess I just keep finding ways to take the weird things I'm interested in and like shoehorn them into my characters' lives um, in different capacities. It I, sounds like, a re- I mean, it sounds like a really fun way of sort of affecting the way that you view your day to day. You know, it's like, I I feel like a lot of people just kind of go through their life and don't really think much about going through their life. It's just like, these are the things I do. These are the things I like. I don't really put much thought into it. But then when you have, you know, when you have this, this, um, this skill, I mean, it's obviously it takes skill to write a book when you have the skill to write a novel and you're writing a novel about things that pertain to your life and things that you find interesting. It's like, it's a really neat, I don't know. It seems like a really neat form of like mindfulness where you get this opportunity to look at your life and explore the elements of your life or the things that are kind of affecting the way that you think and go about your day to day in a way that most people probably wouldn't really have that opportunity to do. 
Or it's a form of madness. I mean, it's really one or the other. But I think what it is is that once you start writing romance, I I just find myself looking for the romance angle like everywhere. Like in the fall, we were visiting my little brother who's living in Toronto and I have 12-year-old twins. And he was like, let's go to Medieval Times. So we go to Medieval Times and like... It was one amazing, by so the way. Fun. Amazing, the yeah. <laughs> top tier night of entertainment. But yeah. I'm sitting there going, what's the romance angle here? And I literally came home and wrote like a proposal and sent it to my agent the next morning where I was like, Sarah, I'm going to write a Medieval Times book. Sadly, I do not think I'm actually going to write this. We haven't been able to sell it. But <laughs> immediately I'm in that setting and I'm like, oh, see, like this character would do this and here would be the hook and here's how they would meet the love interest. And my brain is like coming up with romances, I think, wherever I am at. So it's either a great form of mindfulness or it's a strange form of mental health emergency. Really, <laughs> right, what are we right, there? Right, totally, totally. I, I mean, I think I think you have to be, I, I think I think you have to have some sort of, some sort of element of mental illness going on if you decide to write a book. Like to me, like to, because to me, that sounds like, that sounds like a Torture. form of masochism that I am just not <laughs> here for. Like I just don't have it. Uh, so every time I, I meet an author, I'm always I'm just always in awe of the of what it takes to write a book because it's. I mean, it's even if I feel like even if it comes naturally to you, it, it it's it's a long arduous process that just must be must be like you know you must be pulling your hair out multiple times throughout the process of each book. It's like giving yourself homework every day for months on end that of course like nobody is making you do like you know I wake up in the morning and I have to write you know I'm on like contract right now so I have to write 2,000 words and like for a student that's like oh no like 2,000 words I like pulling teeth and I'm like this is what I'm gonna do on a Friday morning for fun you know (laughs) and not really fun but yeah no it really is giving yourself homework and then the amount of like self-doubt that I experience as a writer is like every writer I know is that way it's so intense and there definitely are these moments you're like why am I doing this. This is optional. Why did I put myself in this situation? Um, And I think that's true for everyone who's creative for any sort of form of artistic creation. I think there's just so much doubt that goes into that. And it does suck a lot of the time, for sure. Mm -hmm. What are the best parts about your job? The best parts, I think, are when a book goes out in the world and people are going to have a range of reactions to it. But the moment when somebody reads the book, the way that you wanted them to read it. And like, I try not to see reviews, but when you do see a review and somebody is like getting what you were trying to say in the book or they're reading it in the spirit that you wanted it to be written in, that just feels like a meaning of the minds that I think is hard to achieve in other ways, you know? Um, Cause art is always about, I think, trying to like reach through the page and touch somebody's finger with your finger, right? That kind of like moment of like Sistine Chapel thing. Um, and it doesn't happen that often. And that's what I think makes that really special. Those moments when you do connect with the reader in the way that you were trying to. Mm. What that brings to mind for me is like your experience at medieval times. It's like, I don't know how many hours that went on, but it's like intense and it's like, it's there, it's all at once. And then you go home and you bask in it or like a play or a movie or a concert or whatever. But with a book as a reader, as a consumer of that art, I'm committed for so many hours to yeah. finishing that. And so your job is is to connect with me. Well, I don't know if you would see it this way, but like as the artist there, it's like your job of engagement is seems like a much larger undertaking than 
Well, I think it's, it's long, right? Like you're reading a book for six, eight hours, even if it's just a short book, let alone something like War and Peace. But like you as the reader are also engaged in making that text with me. Like, I think that is what's a little bit different with a book than like listening to music because right, the text on the page is meaningless. Like if you're not sitting there decoding those words, right? And if you're not making the meaning with me, then it just is like a bunch of gibberish. And so I also think a book feels to me as a reader what the word I want is like collaborative in a way that I think other forms of consumption aren't necessarily like you're not working to make them with the author the way that I think with reading you have to. Mm. I, that that makes me I'm, I'm kind of curious about, um, you know, when it comes to writing romance and, mm-hmm. it, and and as an author, you know, looking at it from the perspective of wanting to reach out and touch the finger of your reader, um, obviously you want you, Within a, within any type of novel, whether it be horror or romance or, you know, political thriller, whatever it might be, you have to have characters that are relatable. You have to have mm-hmm. experiences that people can can relate to in to some degree. So how does that work in terms of like writing a romance novel? Like what how much of your personal romance experience Mm-hmm. falls onto the page like are you are you uh you know are you like a hopeless romantic do you do you do you seek not only do you seek romance out in the world for your novels but like do you do you seek romance for your own your own personal um your own personal life what i the reason i started writing romance is that i realized i read for it like whatever i was reading to me almost always the most exciting strand would be the romance strand so i was always looking for those love stories and responding to them the most and when i think about the books in my life that i feel the strongest about they're almost always books that have a romance component in them when i am writing a romance i feel every emotion that the characters like it's secondhand, right? Um, and so like when I'm writing like the bleak moment, like the moment when the couple, you know, almost ever always breaks up in the third act of the book, like I feel that, right? And like I walk around the house, like listening to sad music and like feeling crap, right? For like two weeks as they're like wallowing in sad times. And like the moment early in the book when the couple is meeting or when there's the kind of like butterflies moment, like I experience every one of those emotions. And when I'm editing, it's particularly what the word I want is like um, unsettling because you'll be going to like 50 pages of the book. And so it can be going from like here, high, high highs to like here, low, low, lows. And it feels almost manic. I think the mm. experience of kind of editing in that way. So yeah, I mean, I would say the books are not, my books are not autobiographical directly, though the things that end up being autobiographical in them are often emotional. Like mm. the experience of like a complicated relationship with a parent and like that I'll, you know, mine that and put that into the book. Um, so it's never the big things. I've never been on Saturday Night Live or fall in love with the broody veterinarian living across the street. It's these like smaller kind of emotional moments that um, the kind that like can't be faked. And that I think almost for every writer have to come out of your lived experience. And those are the things that I rip out and like shove into the shove into the book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it reminds me of uh Friday and I both went to school. We met in theater school. Uh, we we were both trained as actors, and it it's it's very similar to to I I feel like most actors would kind of speak to this, but like when you take on a particular role for that period of time, like emotionally, you are going through the the fucking ups and downs and roller coaster of whatever it is that character goes through, which is um, which I don't think people really appreciate how 
hardcore that can be. Well, How intense dis- that can It can be feel. very dysregulating. Yes, 100%. Yeah, like it, it really does throw your nervous system for a bit of a loop, um, especially if it's a, a character that is experiencing you know, very high highs or very low lows. Which is what happens in drama or in any Any sort of exciting story. Well, yeah, totally. When, when you were explaining that, I was thinking about like, how do your loved, how do your loved ones feel about that? It's like, I know that like, I can tell someone in my family, like I'm premenstrual right now, but like in your family, would you be like, I am in the breakup phase of my novel? <laughs> yes, 100%. And my husband and I share an office space. And so when I'm writing, I'll, I often will play the same song over and over again for like eight hours. This makes me sound charming. Everyone wants to hang out with me now. But like sometimes you'll like get in the flow and that's like the song, right? And he'll be like, babe, it's the breakup moment, isn't it? And I'm like, yes, don't talk to me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, no, I, I will talk to my family about that um, because otherwise I feel like as like a weird zombie person, like I'm engaged with these weirdos in my head and I'm where whatever the weirdos are, right? Emotionally, um, but it definitely does spill over. Yes, I would imagine I'm not an actor, but I would imagine it is very similar to that experience of, you know, playing a role or living with a role um, and how that does spill over. And you try to put that armor back on at the end of the day, right? And to like disconnect from the work. But I at least, and I would guess for an actor, it's the same way, feel very empathetic. And so I do, I think, absorb that stuff like osmosis-y and it's, it is hard to kind of have that, that wall there. Cool. One thing we like to do on the show is, is, you know, we talk to a lot of people about everything and under everything and anything under the umbrella of sex and relationships. And, and, and one thing that I, we like to ask is about your origin story about growing up and like sense of romance in your case Mm -hmm. and sexuality and, and things like that. Would you mind sharing a little bit about, um, what, how you sort of found your place in the world as a, a sexual being? Yeah. So um, I grew up in a small town in North Central Montana, which felt in the 90s, but it felt sometimes when I talk about my childhood, it ends up feeling like leave it to beaver or something like very like (laughs) lost in time. Um, and, um, you know, when I was like started dating, um, you know, went through lots of different relationships and then I married my high school sweetheart and then we moved to DC and it was very funny to be 22 and married on the East coast. Whereas in Montana, that was like super normal. Right. And like lots of people I know married their high school sweethearts, people I know divorced their high school sweethearts, you know, (laughs) subsequently thereafter. Um, but suddenly here I was in the city where that was super strange um, and like super abnormal, I think, for a lot of like friends and colleagues and ended up being in all of these situations where people were like, why did you do that? And like, did you know that that didn't have to happen? Like almost like, is this a forced marriage scenario? And I think in some ways, having that experience of marrying my high school sweetheart, we're married 19 years now, um, and feeling like having to explain to people over over again, like, love is a risk. And like, that's, I think what my own love story is about is that like, at some point you either are confident enough to take a leap or you're not. Um, and I guess for me, that might be like an origin story for me as a person, but might also be an origin story for my characters. Cause when Mm. I think about like the core story that I write over and over again, it's often about a character who's experiencing some kind of like professional 
crisis, like something is wrong with their job or their job situation. And at that moment, the like worst moment for it, that's the moment when they fall in love. And I think there is something about that core story that I tell as a writer that is somewhat similar to my core story as a person, which is about, you know, having this career in politics, not digging that going to grad school and not being able to get the kind of professor job I wanted. And then out of all of that mess, beginning to build this career as an author. Um, And I think there's something that is very similar for me as a person, both like sexually and intellectually with the kinds of characters that I write. If so, if it's not a straight one-to-one translation, I think there's a lot of like vibes, as the kids might say, Mm -hmm, that kind mm -hmm. of connect those two, those two poles. That's so interesting. So I I also grew up in a small, uh, like rural, rural place um, on the East Coast in Prince Edward Island, a tiny little island up here in Canada. And I think, you know, at the time, I thought I would marry my high school sweetheart. But when I got to the city, and things opened up, it just seemed like, how could I possibly (laughs) make this decision at this point in my life? And um, like, did you guys experience that when you got to these, like when you got to the, the East coast? You know, it's funny. I, I didn't. And, and it's in some ways it's shocking to me now. Like now that I'm like 41, it's like, holy shit. Like, how was I so certain at 22? And like when we were 19 when we got engaged, how did I, like, how did, was I certain about that? That seems bonkers. Right. Um, and so there is some part of me that sort of can't believe it, but in retrospect, I don't, I guess it's the, you have to be willing to take the leap. And, and I just was, and I, I don't know that for me personally, and I would never want to project from my experience at all in any way, but for me, I, I didn't have those moments of, of doubt, but maybe part of why I crave love stories is that my own love story after that point was fairly stable. And so maybe I like being able to experience vicariously, like uh, the rush of that, that kind of first blush of love. And then maybe like the, the fear of the bleak moment. Um, and so I think that's why I love love stories so much in media, because my own love story has been fairly stable for a long time. So maybe I think I get that um, vicariously through, through media. Mm. Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I, yeah, I love that. I mean, I, 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 I've always, I, I like the way that you phrase it. That you know, it when it comes to love, like you, you, oftentimes you just have to take that leap and just like mm-hmm. trust it. And I've always, I've always had this, you know, this like feeling deep down where, where I, I, I view love as a choice. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that I, I mean, I most certainly don't subscribe to like, you know, there's your, there's, there's that one soulmate out there for you um really i think there's probably you know six million potential soulmates uh that you could meet at any moment in your entire life but you eventually you'll find someone where you go okay i'm gonna make the choice to be with you if you will also make the choice to be with me and uh and i think it's really i mean i just i always love I love those stories. You know, I, I recorded a podcast earlier today with a, a couple. Their, uh, their names were Doug and Donna. And they, Doug just turned 93 on Tuesday. And, uh, and they got married when they were like 17 and 18. And they're still together to this day. And like watching these two very old people <laughs> on Zoom <laughs> while yeah. I'm interviewing them. But just like seeing the way that they would look at each other and, and seeing the way like Donna would say these things about Doug that you could just see like, oh, wow, they've been together for so long, yet they are still so in love. And it was just like, I mean, that, that kind of thing just warms my heart. I really do. I really do love that. But I can also see how that, that long, long standing relationship where there was really no one else prior to and no one else after it would uh i can totally see how like writing about mm-hmm. other stories could be a really exciting way of just just you know allowing your mind to kind of wander and with Explore. with yeah yeah in a really safe and like okay totally okay <laughs> way <laughs> yeah no i think i think so in a, in a in a big way and one of the things i love about romance i think it has or people who haven't read it it has a stereotype of being um all about the thrill of the chase. One of the things that I love about contemporary, and I will say, I think within the genre, there's like lots of different little subgenres and there are romances that are purely escapist. But I think the romances I like to write and the romances I like to read are really grounded in reality. And we see not just the thrill of the chase or the moment of the meeting, but how the couple makes it work. Um, And that kind of, I think there is the kind of the subcategory of romances that it really is grounded in things like, who's going to do the laundry and like, how are we going to keep the spark alive when we're like figuring out who's going to make dinner on Tuesday, you know? And, and for me, that's what I love because I think it can feel even more magical if we're getting that nitty gritty of the everyday negotiation of the choice of love, like you were talking about, not just the like billionaire with the private plane and champagne kind of vision of love, which is, I don't know about you, but that's not my experience of like day-to-day life, right? And so I, I think the, the genre can show us that other side as well, that kind of grounded in reality. Love is a choice. You have to make it work every day kind of um, aspect of love. 
Mm. What what do you think about people who say that they are not romantics? Like, do you do you think there's a a, a romantic in everyone, and and then some people are just sort of jaded, or like, what do you think about that? I mean, I I think that in setting aside things like a romantic, I I think Mm -hmm. romance itself, often when people are saying that, what they mean is I don't ascribe to that like culturally dominant sense of romance, right? Like the tuxedo and the ballroom and the flowers and the champagne. And like, I totally get where that kind of fantasy can feel unappealing to people or even the kind of like over the top flowery declarations of love, that kind of side of it. And so I think often when people are saying that, what they mean is these cultural narratives about romance or these cultural narratives about sex, you know, don't feel appealing to me. And to that, I would say, like, then what is the narrative that feels appealing to you? Um, because I, I do think for many people, there is some version of that that's going to feel awesome. It just may not be the one that we see on the movies. It may not be the one that we see on Bridgerton or whatever. Mm. Speaking of Bridgerton, <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you watched it, Jamie? I have not, no. I mean, I... Mean, I <laughs> I'm I'm aware that there's like a really hot, there's like a, there's like the Bridgerton McLovin like that everyone's into. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I know. Okay, and and it's it's there's there's probably a lot of like period dancing. Um, I guess it's it's a it's definitely a spectacle piece. It almost yeah. feels like very. It's not Bos Lerman, is it? It feels kind of Bos Lermany, like big costumes, fan, fantasy sort of like scenarios yeah and really hot like hot 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 actors yeah and sex like actual like oh yeah like oh Oh, yeah steamy sex oh yeah oh really interesting bridgerton yeah huh i would say it's pretty steamy i think that i feel like there's some yeah I would say I would say season one was I did not. Yes, I think they really pulled back on the sex in season two, which I thought was an odd choice. And then Mm -hmm. if you've seen like Queen Charlotte, the kind of spinoff, it it again brings the heat. Um, But yeah, I would say it is quite steamy for for TV for sure. Um, yeah, there's this like one scene where he like goes down on a staircase, and it's like oh yeah, large and. Larger than life. Anyway, uh, speaking of Bridgerton, the I, staircase is larger than life, or the uh, the whole the, act? the the music <laughs> right, and sure. the yeah it's sure, all it's sure, sure, sure. it's a beautiful moment. Um, uh, what are your favorite romantic stories that you've seen on television or in in stories that you've read? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm definitely a big fan of the, of the banter. And I would say like bantering movies, like probably my all time favorite is when Harry met Sally, um, you know, one, and what I love about that one in the, the heat level, very low and when Harry met Sally, but he falls in love with her for her words. Right. And like, that's what I, I love about that one. And she's never worries about being too much with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I personally find that very affirming. Um, so I would say when Harry met Sally is a, is a favorite, um, I'm trying to think of newer stuff. Um, I feel like we've had kind of a dearth of good rom-coms in the last 15 years or so. I don't know, like Hollywood forgot how to make them, I think, or we stopped making like mid budget movies and that really, hurt the rom-com industry. But the one on Netflix that I think is really why YA, but is very well done, or sorry, young adult, but is very well done is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Have you seen that one no. on Netflix? Okay. It is very good. And it is an adaptation of a young adult romance novel and not steamy. Um, but the the chemistry between Lana Condor and 
the love interest whose name I'm blanking on. I'll think of it here in a second. But they really genuinely seem to like each other. And I think that's what's often missing in um, in rom-coms or in romantic adaptations on TV or in the movies um, is genuine chemistry between the characters. And I feel like that was more common in the 80s and the 90s than it is now. And I don't know why that is. Um, again, I think it's because we're not making those mid-budget movies anymore. And so it just feels like the actors maybe aren't quite as charismatic. Um, but that's one where I think there's a ton of charisma between the leads. And I genuinely buy that these are two people who like each other and who would want to be together. Um, and that for me is what I need to really buy into the love story. Mm. I have, I've had moments when I'm watching a show and I'm like, I just, I don't buy it. Like I do not buy the chemistry. There's no chemistry here and I cannot watch this. It's painful. Do you ever see it though, where you buy it so much that you go, I'm going to have to Google whether or not this yes. like, turned into something <laughs> off camera. Cause this is, fuck, this is too much for me. That's totally. the experience, right? Of listening to every song with the, by the civil wars. Right. And you're like, no, no, you two were together. I just don't, I don't believe it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I, uh, I would love to like for people who aren't aware and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've, you've published two books this year, correct? Yes. I had a book out in January and a book out in May. So I do not recommend in. that. Do not, do not do that. People <laughs> uh, listening at home, Jesus. terrible I mean, mistake. <laughs> again, I, I, it, it's, it just seems like torture. But uh, congratulations, nonetheless. Uh, Chick Magnet, which came out in January, yes, um, and Funny Guy, which came out uh, just last month. That's correct. Uh, are two two of the romance novels that you've you've put out this year? Um, can you give us like a, a sort of a quick little synopsis of of both? Of course. So Chick Magnet is about a social media influencer and her like hook is that she keeps backyard chickens. Um, and so she had been dating a very famous YouTuber and he dumped her during a live stream. Um, and so quite humiliated, she's moved across the country. Um, and right after she's moved into this new house, um, a neighbor that she's never met knocks on her front door and he's like, ma'am, one of your chickens has escaped. And she's like, no way. And they end up chasing her chicken in the rain. Um, and when they finally catch it, they put it back in and he seems just very annoyed the whole time. And she can't really figure out like where this annoyance is coming from, especially since he's outwardly being very helpful. And it turns out he has been hate watching her content um, because he is a veterinarian and is maybe not so much a fan of the whole backyard chicken movement. And so that sets up this romance between them where he's the kind of grumpy veterinarian across the street whose practice is having all of these kind of problems brought on by COVID. And she's this like sunshiny social media influencer who's trying to get her life together um, after this kind of devastating. For Chick Magnet. Um, and then Funny Guy takes us to a totally different place. Um, and the protagonist in that book is a comedian. And he is on a show that sketch comedy show that tapes in New York on Saturday night live Saturday nights. Maybe you've seen it. Um, and so he is recently, I keep writing books where people have been dumped, but he had been dating a pop star. And when they broke up, she wrote this devastating song about him that like sort of reveals all of his various flaws to the world. And so he's trying to sort of hide from the attention and he hides out at the apartment of his childhood best friend. And they've been friends for like 25 years. They know everything about each other, but there's two things that she has never told him. The first is that she has just applied for her dream job across the country. And the second part is that she's in love with him. And as they are stuck in this, you know, 500 square foot New York City apartment for two weeks, kind of all of the various truths are going to come out and everything's going to shift and change between them. Huh. Interesting. Okay. That sounds I, fun. I, 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 I'm curious about the, you know, the, 
the the through line between these two books in the sense that there's like there's a little bit of fame in 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 instilled in both of these character in in two of the characters in both of the books. So where where does where does that it was that just like happenstance that like one had to do with a famous influence, the other one had to do with a famous comedian who isn't necessarily Pete Davidson, but it sounds a lot like Pete Davidson. I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there. But uh, is there like, what was the, what, um, is there also some sort of fascination that you just have with like how fame might influence a person's decisions or, or the little life? bit? Um, chick magnet definitely grew out of like my own experience of the pandemic. I mean, one, I have kept chickens for a long time, long before the pandemic, but um, being at home and like having my kids at home and I had I had actually like never, I had been on social media, but I'd never like watched influencers before the pandemic, which just makes me sound very weird, but I just right. hadn't. Right. Um, and then suddenly we were at home all the time and we started like watching influencers on YouTube and I started getting into like chicken influencers on Instagram. Um, and it was so, it was almost like anthropological. Like there's this whole world that I didn't yeah. know anything about. Right. And I just kept thinking like, as an author, I'm on social media and there is a way in which you develop a brand that's not you, right? And it's almost protective, right? Like, how am I going to talk about my day in a way that fits with, you know, my hook for my books or fits with my voice? But it's you're also like not revealing everything. And I just kept thinking like, for these influencers who do like all these live streams and who are so much of their life is online, like, what the hell would that be like? And it was just really fascinating to me. So that was where Nick sort of came out of, of that world. Um, and that book is very much about not COVID's not on the page, but it's in the background in a big way for both characters. And so in some ways that was like my processing COVID book. The idea for the other book is actually much older. Um, and from it's been in my head for four or five years, a long time. Um, but I've always wanted to write this like childhood best friends to lovers. So two people not are just like sort of friendly, but who genuinely have known each other for decades, know everything about each other. Um, and then like what happens when just stuff starts to shift when sort of two people have been so firmly platonic, I guess it's on his side, firmly platonic, not. So what would that be like? Um, and certainly like the Pete Davidson thing was in my head, though I will say like I wrote a character who was other than that sort of outward thing. It's, it's not Pete. Like I gave these people horrific, <laughs> terrible childhoods and Ooh. I know nothing about Pete Davidson's childhood. Ooh. And so I just want to be really clear. Sorry, Pete, it's not you, um, <laughs> that it's, it's not them, but it was, I guess the idea of fame, but definitely like the shitty side of fame. Ooh. Um, you know, like I've always loved those songs where someone's trashing their ex and suddenly something just clicked for me where I went from identifying with the singer to identifying with the ex. And, you know, like there's people who do that where I have no idea who their ex is. Like if Adele's ex-husband walked by me on the street, I couldn't recognize that guy. I would not be connecting him to those lyrics. But if you are somebody like Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande writes, thank you next, like you're going to be on stage the next night and people are going to be speculating about like that and you and is that true? And so I was definitely interested in kind of that element of being famous um, and sort of how that might interact with this character who is not at all famous, right? Like Brie is not a famous person. Um, and in some ways, I don't know if resents his fame is right, but has seen the crappy side of it, um, you know, along with him and sort of how they navigate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've thought, I've thought about that so much, like just how, how bizarre that must be to like mm -hmm. have your whole life put on the, you know, to put on, be put on blast 
go through a breakup. Like I, I think about it a lot too. Like whenever, whenever I see like Taylor Swift is dating someone new, I'm like, oh fuck, new album. That sucks <laughs> for that person because when they, when, when that relationship ends, that person is going to have to like, you know, dodge an army. <laughs> like, like it's yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> everyone hates you now because <laughs> because of some fucking scarf. I don't know what happened, but you know, it is, it is a really bizarre, it's a really bizarre thing to kind of like put your, but how do you, how do you like, how did you put yourself in those shoes considering it's something that for the majority of us and the majority of the people listening to this, like we would never really know what, what that experience would be like. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of research that goes into it. I read every book on Saturday Night Live I could find and every book about pop singers I could find, but then there's just this imaginative leap, right. That you have to take. Sure, and, yeah. um, I mean, at some point, some, after the book came out, someone I know was like, Oh, I know someone who writes on Saturday Night Live. You, you know, I should have connected you. And I was like, you know, I actually would prefer to kind of imagine it. Like I would almost prefer to kind of do my research and then take the last jump. In some ways, I feel like I know it now in my made up version in a way that I don't know that anybody could ever express to you, if that makes any sense. Like, I think there are elements of all of our life experience that are untransmittable. Write the characters and set them up. And then like Frankenstein's monster, like make them alive Mm. in your head. And then you just have to write that story. I think that there is an element of that, that you could never... It could never be real, real. So it's got to be fiction, real. I don't know if that made any sense at all, but um, but in some ways, totally. I, that's the way that I approach it. Cool. I think it's probably more liberating too, because when I start a new creative project, I can get stuck in the research part because there's it's it it's never ending the information that's out there for whatever yeah. you want to learn about. And I find sometimes that I get to a point in my research where I go, I am really not inspired anymore. Like there's no there's no even room for imagination. Or, yes, you know, creativity here. Or you find yourself like trying to shoehorn that like fact in because you're like, I read that whole gosh darn book. Like, I want to put that fact into my manuscript, even if it doesn't like serve the story. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just me. Yeah, no, I totally, it's absolutely the same. So you have to reach the point where you're like, okay, I've done enough research and now I just have to imagine the rest because otherwise it's just paralyzing. Ooh. With those two books that came out in the same year, did you write them at the same time or one after the other? No, they were written quite a quite a bit apart. So I wrote Chick Magnet in 2020, in the second half of 2020. And um, I had broken up with my previous agent. And so I first had to query new agents. And then we went on submission with the book. And so there was like a two and a half year gap between writing that book and that book being published. And then with Funny Guy, um, I sort of went to them with proposals and they picked that one. And it was hysterical because I completely thought they were going to pick the other one. And so I sort of hadn't put much thought into it. And they were like, we want funny guy. And I was like, oh, crap. Now I have to write this book that I kind of feel like is scary. And I don't know if I can write it. Um, And so that book I wrote last spring, like I turned it in, I think exactly a year before it came out. Um, And so they were written, there was like a year, year and a half between the writing for them. They just sort of ended up getting mooshed together on the production schedule for whatever reason. Um, I actually thought there was going to be a longer gap between them, but publishers, what can you do, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you write two books or two stories concurrently or or do you try not to Yeah, with your right hand and your left hand. (laughs) That's Asimov, right? That's what he said he would like to be tied into. Um, I personally don't write two things at the same time. Sometimes I have to set a project aside. So I was 
50,000 words into another book. And then a contract came along. And so I had to like set that book aside. And now I'm 20,000 words into a, into a different book. And once I'm done with this one, I'll go back to the book I set aside. But for me personally, I would find it really disorienting to be writing one in the morning and then switch to something else in the afternoon. Someone who's more awesome than me might be able to hold all those different characters in their heads, but um, I, I need them to be separate. <laughs> How do you capture an idea that comes to you when you're in one story that you're like, I don't have time for you right now, but I need to collect the data on this one as it comes to me? Yeah. I write a lot of like short treatments, which for me are often like three to five pages. And so I'll write it up and I'll be like, character one is going to be like this and character two is going to be like that. Um, sometimes it'll be really detailed, like chapter by chapter outline. Sometimes it's more like vibes. I make a lot of playlists and Pinterest boards to sort of like capture the kind of feel any part. And then sometimes they have to go in the back burner. I had this really dark period between like 2017 and 2020 where I didn't write a book for like three years. I wrote some short things, I wrote novellas, but I actually hadn't finished a full length manuscript. What was interesting though, is I had all these ideas in that moment. And so I did a lot of what I was just talking about, these kind of like short snippets and then a lot of like playlists. And now I've been going back to those ideas. Funny Guy was one of those ideas. And it just had to sit for a while until I was sort of feeling better about my writing and I was able to go back to it. So I don't know, for me, at least I am able to jump back to those other ideas. I have some friends who are not writers who are not like that, who want to have an idea. They want to sit down and take six months and write the book. Um, and they have trouble getting back to that space um, if they if they don't work on it right away. I, I have found that I have some capacity to jump if there's a little maybe gap in between the projects. Hmm. Very cool. Um, how can people find your work? So I am on the, the web at authoremmaberry.com. Um, and from there, there's links. I'm still on Twitter, though. It feels like Twitter is dying and on Instagram. Um, but that is that's sort of where I am based. And I take it uh, Chick Magnet, Funny Guy, available pretty much wherever you can find they so my publisher is Amazon and so they are through Amazon. You're not going to find me in a bookstore, sadly, um, but they are there in print and an ebook and fantastic audiobooks. I will say for both. So if you like to read your books with your ears, um, I would highly recommend checking out the audio because they are both really good. I, I love a good audiobook. Do you audi do you audio do you audiate it? Do you? <laughs> oh no, no, no! We have like real pros who do this stuff. I am definitely not up to that, and it is good that I am not. I, I never do the voices. I have to say, even when I'm like reading to my kids, like, I don't know, I'm not good at the voices. Um, And so like much better to get a pro for that. <laughs> do, do, do you get to be a part of the casting? I do. And so I did Ooh, get cool. like snippets and like it was super fun Um, to be like, oh, I like this one or like, oh, this voice is not giving me like the right vibe. And I was so delighted. It's four actors. So it's like, the two characters for the one book and the two characters for the other one. Um, and they are both, they're all just fantastic. I was so lucky. Very cool. 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 Um, well, again, thank you, uh, uh, Emma. This has been a really interesting and fun conversation to be able to talk to an author about uh, just the process of writing, because it's, again, it's something that I always look at from, from afar and just think, wow, how, <laughs> <laughs> how is it done? A lot of tea and a lot of tears. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you much so much for, for having me. Time. Yeah, this yeah. was very fun. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. 
And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.